The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, Fathom Church. Good morning, online people. I'm Gary Shear, one of the elders here at Fathom, and I get the opportunity to bring you the Word of God this morning. Uh, our pastor, lead pastor, Chris, is on sabbatical just for a few more weeks, um, sometime mid-August, early August, I guess. He'll be back with us. So um, it's good to be back. I've been out of uh, away from church for three weeks, a trip, and then um, COVID, that disruptor of life, came and visited us and stayed for a while. So um, it's good to be back, see you guys, uh, see, um, um, get back into fellowship, it's good. Um, so we're gonna be in Matthew 16, that was what was read to you this morning. And um, so get, get a Bible, we're gonna go step by step through this passage. So um, just follow along, the, the Bible's underneath your chair, are for your use, page 821, if you want to find it quick, um, page 821, and it's just um, just a few verses. Um, and this, this passage, as you're finding it, it's about signs. Uh, the, the idea of signs, the word signs occurs six times in four verses. So obviously, you know, you're doing your research. What is this passage about? Oh, it's about signs. Um, so um, what do you got back there, Kyle? You got a sign for us? <laughs> you got another one back there? You got another one? Okay, so that's it, guys. That's... <laughs> That's your laugh for the morning. I don't have any more jokes, so. Um, but seriously, how, how many of you have asked for a sign from God? I have. Sign from God, yep. Um, should I take this job or not? Um, should I date this guy or not? Or marry him? Sh- should I sell our house now or should I wait? Um, should I go to Fathom Church? Should I go to another church? You know, God, give me a sign. So, um, I think we've all done that, but um, this passage is about a different kind of sign. Not about that kind of sign. It's not about asking about what job I should get. Um, it's 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 like this. It's like God, I'm really mad at you. Um, if you want me to believe in you, you'd better fill in the blank, or I'm done with you. It's that kind of sign. Or God, I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed. Um, my life is broken. My dreams are broken. And for me to go on with you, you'd better fill in the blank or else I'm done. We're finished, God. So that, it's, it's, that kind of a, it's that kind of a sign that this passage is about. So let's see what, what, what it says. Um, this is a good passage when we're angry, disappointed with God. This is a good passage to think about. Um, so let's, let's start, verse one. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, um, two questions we, we should answer right here is, uh, who are these guys, Pharisees, Sadducees? And, and why do they ask Jesus for a sign? Okay, okay. Um, so who are these guys? 
Well, anyone who's been around the teaching on the Bible probably goes like this when they when these guys are mentioned, Pharisees, Sadducees, okay? Um, but understand this. Um, these, these were the leaders of the Jews, God's people. They were the shepherds. They were the pastors of, of those people. And so they felt a real strong responsibility to guard these people from false teachers, false prophets, false messiahs, and they should. They should absolutely do that. So why do they ask Jesus for a sign? Part one, there's two, two answers to this. Part one, well, they're looking out for their flock, okay? Um, you see, in the midst of their flock is this guy, Jesus, and he's roaming around claiming to be Messiah, the long-awaited Savior and King of Israel. This guy, Jesus, roaming around claiming to be the Son of God, in fact, God himself, this guy, Jesus, walking around claiming to be a prophet. He's, pro- he's, he's, he's prophesying, foretelling all sorts of things. So they had to check this out, all right? It makes sense. They, they wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't check this out. So why were they asking for a sign? Part one, they were doing their job. They were, they were worried. They were disturbed, and deeply so, just as we elders, I think Nate and, and uh, Kyle, you know, you're just the... the um, Candidates, but I think, okay, tell me if I'm wrong. If we elders um, saw you guys, members of Fathom, getting interested in, in, a, in a homeless guy who claimed to be the savior of the world, who had just gone into the emergency room at Littleton Hospital and healed everybody in there, we'd want to check that out. I think, Nate, huh? I think we'd want to check that out. Well, that's what these guys were doing. This was serious stuff. So that's part one. But that's not all. Um, We need to ask that question again. Why were these guys asking for a sign, part two? The puzzling thing about this is it's chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, and um, it's puzzling that at this point, at this point, they're asking Jesus for a sign. So, okay, granted, they, they, they were doing their job. They're checking this guy out, but... But in the previous narrative of Matthew, we've seen Jesus healing all sorts of things. Guys with leprosy, healing paralysis, healing blindness, healing deafness, healing chronic bleeding, casting out demons with a word, raising people from the dead. And now they're asking for a sign? Hmm, yeah. And and we've seen Jesus calming a storm with the word. We've seen him feed thousands with a single lunch. In fact, he did it twice. He turned gallons of water into the best wine that anybody ever tasted. And now these Pharisees, Sadducees, they're asking for a sign. I mean, they didn't necessarily see all this stuff, but they were there for a lot of it. And they knew about all the rest. You better know that because they were keeping their eye on this guy. So now they're asking for a sign, really? Is it all that they've seen Jesus do with their own eyes? Shouldn't it have been enough? Well, apparently it wasn't. All this good stuff Jesus was doing wasn't enough. Well, why not? What's with these guys? <laughs> you know, what more, what more do they need? Well, let's understand what, what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees, Pharisee means um, 
separated one, pure one. Um, the Pharisees arose a few centuries before Jesus, um, zealous to save and preserve the pure religion of Israel when the nation of Israel had sunk into destruction and chaos and foreign occupation, something like Ukraine today, except it lasted for hundreds of years. And, and they had a fervent hope an expectation that someday, someday Yahweh God would deliver them if, if they didn't let go of Yahweh and his ways. And so their mission in Israel, the Pharisees, their mission in Israel was to preserve the pure religion of Israel, to save and promote Yahweh and his ways so that the deliverance of Yahweh God would come. And they believed that that, 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 Deliverance would come in the Messiah, the long-prophesied Savior of Israel. He would be the fulfiller of all the hopes and dreams of God's people, Israel. And they fervently believed that when the Messiah appeared, he would end all this, that period, hundreds of years of foreign oppression, and restore Israel to its pure religion and its glory. And as the pure ones, as the ones who had sought to protect Yahweh God and his ways in Israel for all that time, they expected, of course, that when the Messiah came, they would be his buds. They would be his right-hand men, that they would rule with him and be rewarded. So that's the Pharisees asking for a sign. So now, you see, this homeless teacher, Jesus, um, shows up claiming to be this Messiah, this guy, okay? The Christ, the hope of the nation, the fulfiller of their hopes and dreams. And they look at him and they say, are you kidding me? This guy? <laughs> this guy? How dare this guy claim to be our king, our Messiah? First of all, he claims to be God. God cannot become a man. Walking around in the sandals here in Palestine, absolutely not. How dare this guy? He's, he, 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 he's even got a questionable birth. We don't even know if he's got a le legitimate father. He plays loose and easy with the laws of our religion. He eats without washing his hands. He picks grain on the Sabbath. He touches women. He touches lepers. He touches dead people. And the very people who are the greatest threat to Yahweh and his ways are his most, most ardent followers, the tax collectors, prostitutes, and other low life like that. And he's telling people, he's telling people that rather than save our holy city, it's going to be destroyed in the temple of Yahweh is going to be destroyed. How dare this man claim to be our Messiah? And he's telling people that the real problem in Israel is not the Romans and their occupation. He's telling people that the real problem in Israel is us, us Pharisees, us pure ones. He said our way, he's saying our way of life is the real problem. In Israel. Hey, you can read about it yourself. Chapter 23 in Matthew is the whole chapter is, 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 is Jesus verbally cutting these guys to ribbons. Chapter 23. 
So they're saying there's no way this is God's work. I don't care how many miracles he's doing. When God shows up, he will definitely not be like this. When God shows up, he will not treat us this way. When God shows up, he will not let this stuff happen. When God shows up, he will not do things like this. So out of this, they ask for a sign from heaven. Yeah, they're doing their job because, yeah, they gotta do that, but they're also asking for a sign because they're offended and they're angry at this guy, Jesus. So they're not asking for a nice sign. Notice they say they're, they're doing it to test him. So they make it like a request, but it's really a demand. They wanted their own special sign from Jesus, like um, Jesus, there's no way that you can be the Messiah. You're, in fact, you're making us really, really mad. Now, if you want us to believe in you, give us a sign. I mean us, not some stuff that you're doing out there, but us. Right now, something real fantastic and amazing just for us. And if we don't see it, we'll just know that you're bogus. Okay, so that's these guys demanding a sign, part two. Now, just taking a step aside, for the sake of application, we might ask ourselves, have we ever been offended or angry at God for what he's done or how he's shown up or how he hasn't shown up? You see, these guys were offended and angry about both. Anything like that we can remember in our lives? Just, just asking. Now, for Jesus' response. So that's, that's asking for the sign. Now, for Jesus' response, um, he, he, he's got four parts to his response. <clears throat> and um, first, in, in verse two, he responds with a proverb. It's a saying of that day. We've got a similar one. Red sky morning, in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailors denied. Anybody hear, hear that thing? Okay, yeah, yeah. So they had one similar. It must be an ancient deal. Um, he says, um, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. Now, Jesus is clever. I, Jesus is really clever and, and, and kind of tongue-in-cheek here um, because I'm not sure why they didn't translate it this way, but the word for sky that you see there is the same word as for heaven. So the Pharisees say, show us a sign from heaven. And Jesus said, oh, well, gosh, you know, he said, you guys, you're good at looking at heaven. You look at the heaven, and uh, he said, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the heaven is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the heaven is red and threatening. So he's a little play on words there, just playing with them a little bit, a little tongue-in-cheek. And he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, of the heaven, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So what does he mean by this? What's, what's he trying to say? Well, he's saying, you guys are asking for a sign from heaven. You guys, it's right before your eyes. Look at the times that we're in. Look what's happening every day right here in your midst. You don't need a sign from heaven. Now, now I, want to, I want us to get this. I want you to take note um, of what we saw in the last chapter. Nate's, Nate preached on Matthew 15, okay? Verses 30, 31. He said, 
It says there, and great crowds came to Jesus, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Verse 31, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now remember, Nate pointed out to us that this crowd of people was primarily Gentiles. They lived near the Jews. Jews lived among them, so they knew about all this stuff about the, 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 the Messiah coming and all that stuff, but they weren't Jews. But look, look what it says. It says, and they glorified, when they saw this stuff, they glorified the God of Israel. Now listen to this prophecy from Isaiah 35, five and six. It's just one of many like this, but listen to this, Isaiah 35, five and six. It's talking about the times, see Jesus talking about, you don't know how to read the times. And this prophecy about the times of the Messiah, what it was gonna be like, it says this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The prophecy about the times of the Messiah. The people saw it. The Gentiles saw it and crossed it on the other side of the, of the lake. They saw it. They knew it was the work the Messiah work of Yahweh God of Israel. But these religious leaders, their offense and anger had hardened their hearts and closed their minds to all the Messiah-type stuff that Jesus was doing. See, Jesus was in their midst doing these very things, working his big, special, Messiah-type work, Savior-type work, God himself-type work, Right there before their eyes, Jesus was showing Israel that the time of the Messiah had come. The time of the Messiah was there in Jesus. But they wouldn't accept it. You guys, you're not accepting it. It's right there before your eyes. They wouldn't accept it as God's work because it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they expected God for them to do. So that all Jesus did was not enough for them. They demanded their own sign, something special just for them. So we might even think about that ourselves. Has offense, anger, or disappointment, or frustration with God ever blinded our eyes? Or hardened our hearts to all the good stuff that God is doing and all the good that God is? I'm just saying, I'm just asking. You see, sometimes... Those Pharisees, they get the big thumbs down when they respond to Jesus. Their response to Jesus may not be that different than things we see <laughs> right in, in our own midst. So, um, yeah, there are those today who miss God in our midst because of their anger and offense at him. So that's, um, that's Jesus' response number one. Jesus' response number two. Um, from the tongue-in-cheek, he goes to the harsh and condemning. He says, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. What does he mean, evil 
an adulteress. Well, he calls him adulteress. Um, what, what a slam. The Pharisees are the pure ones, all right? The pure ones. And he calls him evil and adulteress. That's a great way to win them over to your side, you know? I, I get the impression he's not even trying. He's not trying to win these guys over to his side. Um, what's, what's, the, what's the adulterous heart like? Why does he call it adulterous? It's a heart that's been captured by someone or something else. And so it is turned away from the one whom he or she really belongs to, the true love of his or her life. So when the true love shows up, well, it's kind of like, you know, those Hallmark movies. Um, and how many of them are like this? You know, the, so the guy comes back from the war, you know, he's been gone for three years or whatever, and he shows up at the door in his uniform, his kit bag over his shoulder, and he knocks on the door, and he's already, maybe he's even got some flowers or something like that. He opens the door, and the, 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 the love of his life looks at him and goes, hmm, well... Yeah, I know I've been waiting for you for a long time, but now that you're here, mm, I don't like you. Go away. <laughs> so I mean, that's basically what it was. That's the adulterous heart. You see, the adulterous heart will not be one because the adulterous heart does not want to be one. It didn't want, they didn't want Jesus to be their Messiah, not if he was going to do stuff like that, not if he was going to be like that. The adulterous heart will not be impressed with all the good things done for it. You know what it does? It rather picks on all the annoying, peevish, and questionable thing to justify its wandering. So Jesus heals multitudes. Yeah, but he doesn't wash his hands. Well, Jesus casts out demons. Yeah, but he picks grain on the Sabbath. Well, well Jesus feeds multitudes and, and turns water into wine. Yeah, but he calls us hypocrites and snakes. So, yeah, there are hearts like that, aren't there? Even, even today. Focusing on all the questionable, peevish, annoying things in their lives to justify their rejection of God. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's not, it's not that far from us. So that's Jesus' response number two. Jesus' response number three. Then he says, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. And we're going, what's that? Well, whew, I didn't have to work on that because Matthew 12, 40 tells us what that is. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, he's, so he's talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the only sign I will give you is my death and resurrection. And so here we come to the crux of this passage, and I think it's the best lesson for us today. Jesus says, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah, the sign of my death and resurrection. So I don't know about you, but immediately comes to mind, weren't there other, there's other signs. I mean, what about them? We just listed a bunch of his signs, and he's gonna do more. If you keep reading in the Gospels, you're gonna see before Jesus dies and goes off this earth, he's, he's gonna heal a boy plagued by a demon. He's going to heal a couple of blind guys. He's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. What about these things? Well, here's the point Jesus is making, and this is where we're gonna focus our application in a minute. <clears throat> the, 
the truth of Jesus as Messiah, Savior, Son of God, stands on Jesus' death and resurrection for us. It does not depend on what miracles he might or might not do for us. Okay? The fact of God's saving love for you stands on Jesus' death and resurrection for you. It does not rest on the good things he might or might not do for you. The reality of Jesus as Savior and Lord stands on his death and resurrection for you. It does not depend on how well he meets or does not meet your expectations. So Jesus is saying to them and to us, sure, there will be other signs, but the sign upon which it all hangs is my death and resurrection for you. That's enough, Jesus said. That's enough. So then Jesus responds to number four, finally. So with that, he, he leaves them. He turns around, it says, turns his back on them and leaves. So he didn't beg. He didn't cajole. He didn't plead. He just left them. You see, God gives signs. He gives lots of them, abundant, clear, and powerful. It's up to us to respond to the sign that God gives. We don't give God ultimatums. Do this and I'll believe. God, if you don't, I won't. We don't do that. Jesus calls the shots. He sets the terms. He says what's enough and what isn't enough. He makes the demands. We don't. So that's the passage. Now for the, now for the application. So let's t- talk about that big idea. The big idea, the big takeaway, the big application for us. Let's talk about that for a while. If God never does another good thing for us in our life, the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. Why don't you, yeah, he got it up there, good. It is the sign of God's love, the sign, the sign of God's salvation, the sign that God is good and has amazing good in store for us. This right here. If God never does another good thing for us in life, the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. Now, it's not that God never does good things for us, okay? Um, he does lots. And I, I, I'm sure we could take this mic and pass it around. I'm guessing, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 99% sure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we would get testimony after testimony from everyone here of good things that God has done. For them. I'm sure of it, okay? Or testimony after testimony of what I call flowers along the path. You know, like you're hiking and, and the, this trail is steep and it's rocky and you've been going for hours and hours and you're tired and, and, and worn out. And then you come on to a bunch of columbines by the flower and you just stop and it kind of kind of refreshes you, or stream there. I call those flowers along the path. It's like yesterday we're talking at dinner with a, with a, with a, a friend of ours who, who's been working through the grief of, of the passing of her husband. And uh, somehow a book uh, fell down some time ago behind one of her pieces of furniture. And um, she discovered it just the other day. She pulls it out 
and looks at it, it's just the book that she needs. Or it's like when, when you're going through a hard time and a friend that you hadn't heard from in a long time just kind of randomly, randomly gives you a call. You know, flowers along the path. God does those things, okay? It's not saying God doesn't do those things. But despite all that good stuff, from time to time, and not just once in life, but from time to time, we're hit. And I mean hit with something that shatters, that shatters all the gratitude and replaces it with shock, disappointment, anger, frustration. At God, at God. So I know that we could pass the mic around another time and hear testimony after testimony of the shocks in our lives that have sent us reeling. So this word from Jesus is for this. It's for this. See, our problems with Jesus may not be exactly the same as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but problems we have. We too have problems with Jesus that make us angry, disappointed, frustrated, or offended. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You see, it was because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior, the fulfiller of the hopes and dreams that the Pharisees and Sadducees had the issue with Jesus. If he hadn't claimed to be that, they wouldn't have had a problem with him. And likewise for us, it's precisely because Jesus claims to be who he is, the Savior, our Savior, my Messiah, the lover of our souls, the forever friend who fixes. It's because he's that that we have the problem with him. If he's such a lover of our souls, why this? If he's such a friend and fixer, why that? So now, now this gets at the heart of what being a Christian is all about. It's about loving Jesus because he loves you so much that he died for you. That's it. Not complicated. And he loves you so much that he rose from the dead to provide the way for you to live with him forever. There's a, there's a verse I memorized some time ago. It's in Jesus' long prayer before he, he went to the cross, John 17, 24. It reads like this, and, I'll, and I'll, then I'll translate how I think about it. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Dad, these guys here, these, these crazy guys that are gonna desert me in a minute, I love these guys. I wanna bring them home. Can I bring them home, Dad? I wanna bring them home and have them live with us. In that glory and love, that, you, that we've shared together since the beginning of the world. That's what I want. And so Jesus prayed that and to fulfill that prayer, he went to the cross for you and for me. So it's not about how he's healed you, though he may have, and I praise God if he has. Um, but you know what? He probably hasn't. Jesus can heal, but there will be more times when he doesn't. In fact, there will be times when sickness plagues us and we don't get better. Jesus can provide, but there will be times when there won't be 12 basketfuls left over. We'll be hungry. What then? 
What then? You see, miracles are miracles because they don't happen very often, okay? Um, So Jesus is telling us this. I'm not going to fill your life with miracles like every time you're lonely, zap. Every time you're sick, zap. Every time you lose a job, zap. Every time you're disappointed, zap. Every time you're doubting, zap. Every time a loved one dies, zap. No, he says, I'm giving you one big, audacious, universe-sized miracle. I, the Son of God, creator of all things, sovereign God, enthroned among the glorious, powerful, heavenly beings, their creator and their ruler, I'm gonna come down and die for you and be raised back to life for you. And then he says, trust me because of that. Believe in me because of that. Love me because of that. If God never does another good thing for you in life, the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. I mean, I I gotta tell you, I would never give my son to die for you, Nate. I wouldn't do it, you know? I like you a lot. Much less that radical Muslim who hates my guts. I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. But... If I did, Nate, if I gave my son to die for you and you came back to me and said, well, gee, Gary, that was cool. Um, But you see, I just lost my job. And if you get me a new job, I'll know that you really love me. I'd wring his neck. I'd just wring his neck. I'd just give my son to die for him. Well, you see, I wouldn't do that, but God did. God gave his son to die for you, and not only you, but that Muslim who hates Jesus with a passion. Jesus died for him. That's wonderful. That's amazing. That's astounding. But it can make for hard questions in our life, can it? This is the demand of faith. Jesus demands, we don't, and he demands faith. So here's how I try to make it work in my life. Um, it's work, okay? It's work. This is not easy. Faith is work. Call, Paul calls it a fight. Faith is not something that just, oh yeah, faith, it's just natural. We have to work at this stuff. So here's what I do. Every morning, almost every morning, it's hard to say every because, you know, sometimes I miss, but probably five, six mornings out of seven in a week, I say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. First thing I do, get up, have my quiet time with God. First thing I say to God is, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And I say, thank you, Father, for giving your son to die for me. I would never do that. Thank you. And then I say, thank you, Jesus, for coming back from the dead, from the other side. I know it's real now. I'm not wondering, it's real. And you're going to prepare a place for me. Thank you, Jesus. I do that every morning. And I do this when I wake up feeling good or have a headache. Or I've just, or, or, or when I've just, taking my wife to the ER, which I did about 10 days ago. But then what happens when anger, offense, frustration, the shattered dreams and expectations, what happens when they come? It might be something simple like a a missed special event because of COVID, like teaching. You know, um, I love to teach. And so this was the time in my year, um, it's been six months since I've taught I had training with, at World Venture, six days of training and new recruits going out. Uh, I had Fathom Academy starting in this sermon. And right then I get 
COVID. And I'm going, really, God? Are you kidding me now? I mean, all those months I was just kind of sitting around doing stuff and <laughs> I could have gotten COVID then, now? Or it might be something heavy like the diagnosis of terminal cancer for my best friend who died then seven months later. What then? We want to know what I do? I get angry. I get frustrated. Sometimes I duke it out with God. What are you doing? How can you do that? It makes no sense. I see no good in this. And sometimes it lasts for years. Sometimes it's not just over overnight. It lasts for years. Our, our colleague Melanie, 35 years old, mother with three, two little kids, great missionary, had a great kids work going in Rwanda. Aggressive breast cancer took her life. She's gone. You go, that makes no sense. To this day, it makes no sense at all. Why? Absolutely no sense. I see, you know, sometimes you see good coming out of stuff. I don't see any good coming out of that to this very day. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I just sit stupefied, wondering and puzzled. But there's one thing I will not do. It's a determination. It's a commitment of heart based on Jesus, dearest son of God on the cross. I will not question God's love for me or for them. I will not. I'll question his ways, but I won't question his love. So there'll be no ultimatums coming out of my heart. God, if you don't do this, we're through. I know you, I'll, I'll know you don't love me if you don't do that. Never, I won't do it. It's just a determination of the heart. God gave me his dearest and best to die for me because he loved me so much. I will not cheapen what Jesus did for me on the cross by saying, it's not enough not enough. If the death and resurrection of Jesus won't convince you that God loves you with an overwhelming eternal love, you'll never be convinced. <laughs> what, else can, what else can he do? But if you've really grasped it, if you've really grasped it, you'll never need another convincing. Does God love me? The death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. But nothing's going right. Oh, the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. I don't feel God. The death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. My life has been one tragedy after another. The death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. So Jesus says to us, I'm giving you, I've given you one big, audacious, universized miracle. I, the Son of God, creator of all things, sovereign God, enthroned among the glorious, powerful, heavenly beings which I created and rule, I came down and died for you and rose again from the dead for you. Trust me because of that. Believe in me because of that. Love me because of that. It's enough. It's enough. Lord God, we just thank you. Thank you for Jesus and his audacious sign of, of love. May it be enough in our lives. May it be not just words, may it be um, not just a theological construct in our minds, may it be the set of our hearts that this is enough. We may we be so overcome with the love of God in Christ who died and rose for us that it answers all our questions and settles it once for all. I pray that if there are people here or watching 
for whom Jesus is not that, that they would make Jesus that in their lives, the center of their hopes and dreams and their love because of his death and resurrection for them. In Jesus' name, 